You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. This is the season we remember how Jesus was born in, in a Bethlehem. His first bed was not a crib or a bassinet, but a food trough for animals, because there is no room for his family at the end. Now let's hear from the second part of this story. As news of Jesus' arrival started to be shared, these words are from the Gospel of Luke. Now in that same region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child swaddled and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God God in the heavens, and on earth earth peace among among all. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, today on this baby's first Christmas, I started thinking about my own children's first Christmases, and in particular, my son Ben's first Christmas. 
He was two months old, and Ben was an easy baby. He slept a lot. Uh, he liked to be swaddled, and he was always alert when music played. And at that time, we had been to several different outings just before Christmas, including um, an open house at some friends from church at their home on December 22nd. And people were eager to see and hold Ben because I had been on maternity leave and up until just a few weeks before then. And so they wanted to hold him and everything. And so he was passed around by several people. And in the middle of uh, that, we found out the next day that uh, several people who had been at that party woke up with the flu including the person who had been holding Ben the most. And so they had a stomach bug. Well, uh, we were not exactly excited to hear about that as we, you know, Christmas Eve loomed and uh, Mike and I were both serving churches at that time. And of course that year, Christmas Eve was on a Sunday, which meant there were morning services as well as evening services. And so we were just hoping we wouldn't get sick. Except December 23rd, we went to bed, and in the wee hours of the morning, my husband got up, and he was sick. So I, at 6 o'clock in the morning, after really having no sleep, started making phone calls to see if there was someone who could come and preach for him in the morning and in the evening, and I called the district superintendent. And the best thing about being a district superintendent is that you don't have to work on Christmas Eve or Easter. And so when I called him and said, can you come and, and, uh, and preach for Mike, he kind of hesitated and was trying to figure things out. And so I said, all right, I'll talk to you later. And then I called and I was able to uh, get in touch with the Reverend Eric Stone, who at the time was the Wesley Foundation director at U of M. And so he came over and he preached in the morning for Mike. And in the evening, his lay leader uh, read the sermon that Mike had written. So that was all great. We had that all figured out. And I just want to remind you that at that time, I had a three-year-old and a newborn and services of my own to manage. And so after the morning service, I took my kids to my parents' house. My mom was serving at church at the time, but my dad could handle them, right? He could just take them to church and that would be fine. And so I left them there and on my way back to church in order to get ready for Christmas Eve, I, of course, then got sick. Uh, and I powered through it, and I made it through my sermon without having to leave. There was a very long Chris, uh, children's message, which was very helpful because I really did leave the service about four times. But I made it through, and I ran out, and I left, and I went to my parents' home, and I learned about my dad's evening. My dad had the three-year-old and the newborn, and also my grandmother, who was almost 90 years old and not very uh, mobile, and um, in the middle of the service, my daughter Allison, who I'm so glad is here today, uh, home from school, uh, did snow angels in the middle of the aisle at church while the service was going on. And uh, my grandmother, that made her very anxious and antsy, and she's trying to get up and tell, get Allison and my dad is there worrying about everything. And my mom is up front worrying about everything, and everyone else is laughing, and Ben just slept through the whole thing perfect angel, perfect uh, baby. And so uh, the next day I was still sick, but the kids had a great day. And we later realized that though Ben never got sick himself, he was definitely the carrier because everyone who held him got sick. 
It was a very messy Christmas. And when I think about that very first Christmas, it's such a rough and messy story, really. When you think about it, there was a barn. The baby was born in a barn, surrounded by dirty animals with shepherds who were not the cleanest of people, who came as the first uh, visitors. And you can only imagine what a birth outside must have been like. And yet, in the middle of all of the messiness, there are angels with all their majesty, angels proclaiming angels, singing angels, calling the shepherds to come and visit. In the midst of that dirty, smelly, messy story, angels triumphantly sing glory to God in the highest. So today we talk about angels we have heard on high as our Christmas carol for the day. Angels We've Heard on High is a French carol, and the lines uh, with throughout come directly from Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 14. And so we have those words in Excelsis Deo that we always sing. That means glory in the highest. So that's what we're saying when we sing that. And the verses tell a story. The first verse is very festive, and the angels are singing. It's such a joyous event, uh, and even the mountains are joyful. Then we move on to the second verse, and there's a question asking the shepherds, why so happy? What's going on? And it continues to tell the story. The third verse is an invitation to everyone to come and see the birth about whom the angels are singing. And then finally, look here in a manger. Isn't it wonderful? The baby is there with his parents, and so we raise our hearts in love. It was the angels who called the baby's first visitors to worship the newborn king. They sang in glory about the babe, and they told the shepherds that he was born for them. Upon hearing that, the shepherds ran to worship, to bow before the the babe, to humble themselves in love and adoration. In his book, The Journey, Adam Hamilton talks a little bit about the the nativity scene and the angels, and he comments that many aspects of the nativity story feel a little bit impractical. And he says that the presence of the angels is one of them, Because when we think about angels, we often think of the winged creatures, um, cherubs, you know, we think of uh, pictures that we have seen. But Greek, uh, the Greek for angel means messenger. And so the angels, now we think about them, most often in the Bible, they appear as people. In fact, the word that is used is angelos, which means messenger, and is sometimes used in Scripture to describe a mortal. You think about in uh, the book of Hebrews, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some have entertained angels without even knowing it. Angels typically appear as strangers, not as winged creatures. Remember, they often start with fear not, because we don't know who they are. Luke says that the light shone around the shepherds, and we don't exactly know what that light was. We know that the shepherds were maybe scared, but we know that the glory of the Lord shone. God's glory is what is revealed through the birth of Christ, and so that's what the angels 
who step out of the, the shadows and announce the good news to the shepherds, say. And so after that first stranger announced the good news to the shepherd, more came. More strangers came out from the dark into the light. They couldn't keep quiet. And so they announced the good news. And the strangers were given voice. Now, that voice was to offer praise to God and to call us to lift our own voices in songs of adoration. And they compelled the shepherds to go, to run, to go and see. And so they go, and we imagine them running and running up and then suddenly stopping and bowing in adoration. And then they rise to leave and go and share the message. They leave the shadows behind and they share the good news out in the open because of their love for this babe. Perhaps they become angels themselves. Now, who are the earthly angels who come out of the shadows to help us adore him? Advent and Christmas is a time for stories, so I wanted to uh, share a story with you. It's about Jean, who was spending her first Christmas alone. She and her husband had legally separated, and getting into the spirit of Christmas just wasn't easy for her. She didn't want to send out Christmas cards with only her name, and she felt lonely and sad, and so figured that she wouldn't send those cards out this year and not even decorate. She'd just get through. And then one day, the doorbell rang, and she reluctantly answered, and there was no one there, but on her front porch there was a bag with tinsel in it. And so she reached down, and she reached into the bag, and she found there an envelope, and inside that envelope was a story. It was a story about a boy in a Denmark orphanage. He was new to the orphanage. Christmas was coming, and he'd heard about Christmas in the orphanage from the other children. There was a beautiful tree that would appear, and on that tree, the candles would be lit um, all over on the branches. There was a mysterious benefactor who made all of it possible, and when he heard about it, the boy's heart just swelled. The most he'd ever seen about Christmas was in other people's windows. That was his knowledge, and even more he learned that it was not the same meager dinner that they always had, but they had a fragrant stew with crusty hot bread. And last and best of all, each of them would receive a holiday treat. Well, the story stopped there, and on the other side, Jean read, Everyone needs to celebrate Christmas, wouldn't you agree? Watch for part two. And so the next day, sure enough, another bag appeared on her doorstep. The envelope was there, and the story continued. The treat was his very own orange. Each year, each child received their very own orange. Now, to us, that doesn't sound like a treat, but to the boy, he couldn't believe it. My very own orange? Yes, there would be one apiece. And the boy was ecstatic. He only knew the smell of oranges. He had sniffed them in the marketplace, and he even knew what the pocked skin felt like. To taste one or eat one, well, that would be heaven. Once again, though, the story ended, and Jean knew that she'd receive more the next day. And sure enough, the next day, she heard the doorbell ring, 
and went to the door, and there was a bag. Now, this time, the bag was a little bit heavier than before, but she reached in, found the envelope, and found the story. It was Christmas Eve, and just as the children promised, there was the tree with the candles on all the branches, lit and beautiful, and the smells of stew brewing. The boy was there, and he went to the end of the line of the children waiting for their orange. But when he got up there, the one passing out the oranges said, Oh, I'm sorry. Too bad, young man. Too bad. But the count was in before you arrived. It seems there are no oranges left. Next year, though, next year, you'll receive an orange. Well, as you can expect, the boy was brokenhearted. And so he ran upstairs to his bed, and he buried his head in his pillow, and he cried. And soon he felt a gentle tap on his back. He tried to quiet his sobs, and the tap became more insistent, and so he looked up, and he smelled it before he saw it. A cloth napkin on his mattress, tucked inside, was a peeled orange. It was made of segments saved from the others, a slight donated from each child. Together it made one fruit, an orange of his very own. Jean wiped her eyes and she looked back into the bag, remembering that it was heavy, and at the bottom she found one of those foil-covered chocolate oranges, you know. And it was already separated into segments, and she smiled for the first time in weeks. She made copies of the story, and she wrapped up each slice, and then she started making deliveries. She gave one to Mrs. Potter, whose husband died that year, and one to Melanie, who was on her second round of radiation, one to John, her running partner, who was parenting a difficult teen, and one to Mr. Bradford, who was losing his eyesight, and one to Sue, who was the sole caregiver to her aging mother. A friend who was a stranger became an angel to Jean, and she, in turn, became an angel to others. Perhaps adoration isn't just the bowing and worshiping of Jesus. Perhaps it's humbling ourselves to come out of the shadows, to find our voices, to share Christ's love. The angels sang in adoration, and they inspired others to share the good news. The angels in our lives call us to do the same as we celebrate and share the gift of love in Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.